0: Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good
1: morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. This morning, we we're having a conversation with Mr. Maurice Smith, who's our first of four inductees into the 2023 Co-op Hall of Fame. Uh, good morning, Maurice.
0: Good morning, Vernon. It's a pleasure to be with you here this morning for this conversation.
1: It's a pleasure having you, and congratulations on being inducted into the Co-op's highest honor in being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Just really glad to, to see that you were inducted buddy thank you yeah thank you my friend yeah so let's start talking about um, how you got into this in your co-op world has been in the um, credit unions and the financial institutions so mm-hmm. how did you get started into these this credit union
0: well well thank you Bernie for that question I recently retired from my role as a CEO of a credit union And this past January, after 43 and a half years in the business. But I often tell my friends that my career actually began um, 10 years prior to that at the age of 12. So I'll quickly tell you, Vernon, I grew up on a small family farm in North Carolina. Uh, The only son, three younger sisters. And my dad and I spent most of the time on the farm doing what you would do on a farm, handling chores, planting crops, things along that line. On this particular day, in 1969, when I was 12 years old, we were my dad and I were out planting potatoes, and he turned to me, and he asked me, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Now, Vernon, I'm 12 years old. I- I'm trying to figure out how girls work. <laughs> but dad said, you know, Maurice, you don't what? have the luxury of going through life, <laughs> trying to, you know... <laughs>
1: You were trying to figure how girls work at 12. I didn't get that to 15, so okay.
0: <laughs> Maybe I was more advanced. Yeah. I, doubt it. I doubt it. My, my education was, uh, I, I'm still trying to figure a few things out. <laughs> okay. And and my dad said, you know, Maurice, you don't have the luxury of going through life aimlessly. You always have to have a purpose in life and the things that you do. You asked me to choose my I didn't know what to say. And so I asked my dad, could I have 24 hours to think about it? He said, yes. But tomorrow, this time, I want your answer. The following day, we take receipts, farm receipts to the local community bank. It was called Walkamark Community Bank at the time. no longer exists today. And my, you know, uh, task was, as we were standing in line, waiting for a teller to become available to take our deposit, I noticed this gentleman sitting in an office in the corner. And it was glass walls, so I could see certificates on his his walls, and I could see important papers on his desk. I could see he was wearing a white starch shirt and a necktie and a suit, and I asked my dad, who is that man, dad? And my father said, that is the bank president. And I thought, that's what I want to be, dad. I want to be a bank president. Now Vernon, this is 1969. Though they existed, but I've read Jet and Ebony magazines, I had not seen in my particular community an African-American in such a position. My dad looked at me and he said, you want to be the bank president? I said, yes, dad. That's what I want to be. The next three sentences out of my dad's mouth would change my life. And he said, well, then you need to go to college. You need to major in business and I will help you and though my dad did not go to college and he was accomplished in so many ways the next few years on the farm, all our conversations changed. He grilled me on, on Keynesian economics on the rule of 72, the power of compounding interest, the effects of communities who have economic resources and d- those who don't, and the deprivation of poverty and the in, you know, inconsistency and inequities of wealth in communities. Those are the kind of conversations my dad had and that prepared me for this trajectory of working in credit unions, not a bank. But I made out better. I worked in a credit union, a co-op.
1: Well, three things: go to college, major in business, and I will help you. Is what your father told you yes. that next day he gave you twenty-four hours when you said you want to be a, a black black bank president <laughs> in North Carolina in nineteen sixty-nine.
0: <laughs> okay exactly
1: i had not seen in 1969 In 1969 i would have been 21 22 and i was graduating i was a senior at college and i had not seen a black president of a bank i had not even seen a black bank didn't even know there was such a thing as a black bank there were i have found out since but i didn't know about them in bluefield west virginia And you were in North Carolina in a small community. I'm in a small community in West Virginia. But it's interesting to me. You walk into this bank and you see this man. Do you have any sense about what about this man made you say, I want that?
0: You know, Vernon, that's a really good question. And I don't know what inspired me to want to choose that for a career, except seeing the certificates, seeing his death, seeing his apparel, his clothing, his presentment, it appeared that he had the authority and the opportunity of affecting other people's lives. I imagine people may come to him who need advice on investments and perhaps need loans for their family's needs and just need guidance for their businesses. I would later learn that financial services would play such a critical role in many households and communities and neighborhoods that the difference between a community of wealth and means and a community that, that lacks economically is money now the level of social ills that might occur between the communities can be debated and varied but at the end of the day the things that give us the best lives usually result in our ability to receive economic resources and also financial understanding of how to use those resources. Maybe my 12-year-old self started to realize that just by looking across a bank lobby at the time.
1: I'm also just amazed at your dad. Yes. Um, He started talking to you about Keynesian economic theory. Yes deprivation of poverty and the, the, the difference between a community that has wealth and a community that lacks wealth. I don't know if my father, my father worked on the railroad hauling coal. I don't know if my father would have had those kind of conversations. He was in World War Two. He was very much worldly he watched the news, and he and my granddad, who was World War One vet, would talk about what's happening in the world. But he didn't understand. I, later my mom or him did not understand the finance that you're talking about. I, I, I realized that later on, they did not have that financial understanding. That I've since learned that credit unions help to teach their members. We didn't have a credit union in Bluefield, West Virginia. Which is quite interesting, but I'm just amazed at your dad. Do you have any sense of where he got that
0: knowledge that he could pass it on to you? Oh, um, astute a questions. I do not know. Now, my my dad was a voracious reader, and, he, you know, he would um, he would read the newspaper every single day. You know, we, he would go out, we would tend the fields and do things, come back in for breakfast, and then he would spend time reading the, the newspaper.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm I got to cut you off. You you went to work and then came back and eat breakfast. <laughs> I <laughs> oh, thought yeah. you. I thought you ate breakfast first and then went to
0: work. <laughs> no, no. You know, on a farm. You know, my dad would say, Maurice, if you get up and the sun's already up, you've wasted half the day. So we were up at the crack of dawn, Uh-oh. and there were chores to tend, crops to harvest, things like that. And then my mom would, you know, would signal for us to come in to have breakfast. That was a morning break. And then we'd go back to work attending to, to what needed to be done that day. And during that break was the opportunity to read the newspaper, and my dad would then point out to me things that are going on in the world. And he would ask my opinion. Why is this happening? And he and I would sit it wasn't so much a debate, it was more of of instruction. He wanted me to understand my decisions and what kind of impacts they have by learning from the decisions and the mistakes of other people. Mm-hmm. Maybe he picked up Kensington economics on the newspaper, but he uh, he wanted to make sure I understood these these theories. And this
1: whole compound interest is one that's um, I majored in math, and when I was able to get to to this compounding interest, that was just phenomenal to me. How when you yeah. put something down. What was it? If you put something $100 down a month and at 7%, in 10 years you doubled what you put in? Some, I believe that's the formula. Yeah. Yes. So whatever you put in, 1200 a month, 10 years, $12,000, at the end of 10 years you've got $24,000. You doubled your money. Mm-hmm. And yes, to. To learn that and to watch it, it's phenomenal. And yeah, my parents, if they knew that, they didn't live it. And I thought I wanted to be a banker, but not until I was in grad school, because the bankers seemed to always have money. <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> They either knew how to manage it, they knew how to get it, or knew how to keep it, but they yeah. seemed like they had money. Which gave the guy on the, that you saw that had the starch white shirt and a tie and the suit and the placards on the wall that money helped him to get that knowledge and to buy those things and have that desk. Yeah. Phenomenal yes. at 12. Okay.
0: Absolutely. Thank you.
1: How did you then get to co ops? And I want to. Before you answer that, I'm going to want you to answer that when we come back from break. We're going to take our first break. But it's, it's, it's you know, you were at a community bank and you ended up in the co-ops or credit unions. And the question I'd like for you to answer when you come back from the break is how did you get into the co-ops and then this comparison of what a, I mean, credit union, and how the credit union compares to this bank, in particular community bank. But so far, it's fascinating, Maurice, that your father had this view of, of the world and the future, and he could help you and told you, you got to go to college, major in business, and then he would help you. That's phenomenal. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. This is WOL News Talk, 1450 AM at 95.9 FM 959. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. WOL has been a great, great partner in these 10 years. Maurice, uh, this October, we will celebrate 10 years of being on air. We have over 350 shows or podcasts on our webpage, www.everything.coop. And this one will be on that, that uh, webpage in a couple weeks. But WOL says their motto is that information is power. And that's, to me, what your father was saying to you. You've got to go to college. You've got to major in business. You've got to get this information. But a guy named Papa Sen, a brother out of Senegal, that first month in October, 10 years ago, said it's not the information that you get the power from. You get the power when you put the information into action. If you don't put any action on it, it's just like not even having the information. So, yeah, it's going to college, major in business. Uh, your father will help you. But how? Do, I guess the question becomes, how did you take that knowledge you got in college and talking to your dad about all of those conversations, um, put it into action, and, and get the power? Mm, that's
0: a really a good question. So I majored in business administration at the University of North Carolina in Wilmington. And the business school curriculum there was probably not completely unlike most business schools. I took classes in accounting and management and marketing and economics and so forth. I didn't have an opportunity to take a class in cooperatives. It wasn't offered. And even in the finance and the business classes, the management classes, the notion of cooperatives wasn't even mentioned. So that was a foreign concept to me, but I've had this upbringing from my father to believe that banking and finances are tools that should be used for good, is to provide resources for communities and help uplift individuals and households. And so business schools teach you basically that the value proposition is a binary equation. There are winners and there are losers in a transaction or a business deal. And it never occurred to me that, that members of a co-op could actually sit on both sides of the equation, be the supplier and the consumer or the user of the service by participating in how the operation works. And so when I graduated, I thought, well, I'm just going to be in this you know, business world where you get to eat what you, you know, what you kill and that's just the way it works. And a friend introduced me to the state employees credit union and said, you get to exercise the banking discipline that, that you've been working. Talking about, but in a kinder, gentler, more ethical way, and so began my career as a loan officer at the State Employees Credit Union on August twentieth, nineteen seventy nine, and I haven't looked back since then. So I uh, I have enjoyed this career, and in Vern, if I could be a little, a little bit transparent, I, I really credit this as being the favor of God that you've led me down this path, and it's uh it's been. It's been fruitful for me and for my family.
1: Okay, so you got your natural father and God, the father, ordering your steps. Okay, creating a path. And uh, this friend told you about this loan officer position, or he told you about the whole credit union, what makes it a friendly or ethical way of banking, of financial transactions.
0: Yeah, both. Yes, yes, he told me about both, and and my dad was really excited by the fact that I was going to become a loan officer because he said you have the opportunity of helping people, meeting them at the point of their some of their greatest needs, and finding the way to resource the credit unions' services and products to help families. And those were learning years for me, um, but as I even think decades later in management. What comes to mind to really draw connectivity between decisions I'm making and how it affects somebody is those early conversations I had with members about how could we help them. And that has not left me to this day.
1: Well, Chuck Snyder told me what, what got to his heart was a lady came in when he was a loan officer and wanted money so she could put the security deposit down to get an apartment. She needed help getting an apartment, and he said that she, you know, he helped to get her the loan. She got the apartment, but she would come back in and thank him over and over and over again of how much that helped. You know, it is amazing the amount of help that you can give a family as a loan officer. How long did you do that? You started August the 20th, 1979. How long did you do the loan officer
0: position? Yes. I was a loan officer for about two and a half years and then was given an opportunity to open a branch for state Employees credit union and then to go to a larger branch after that and would eventually make my way into marketing and training and then in 1992 would make my way to local government federal credit union where I would stay until I ended my career.
1: So in that first two and a half years you have any sense of how many families you were able to help as a loan officer? Repeat that again. In those two and a half years as a loan officer, 1979 through 81, 81, 82. Yes, sir. You have any sense of how many families you were able to help?
0: Oh, I don't know. Vernon, in a typical day, I might write 20 loans in a given day. Wow. So imagine the day, this was before there were smartphones, before there was apps, before you had a lot of the remote ways of providing financial services to the membership and to the public. So every loan was a handwritten single conversation in person with an applicant to make that decision. And so it was very manual, uh, non-technical. And they required face to face, and that you know that might seem inefficient by today's standards, but it was also an opportunity to build relationships. And as we were making a loan, and as you're having a conversation and getting to know someone to figure out what they really need, it was also an opportunity to explain we are different as a credit union cooperative, and here's what we offer for you. So it was, it was, it was a, it was. Might seem like a slower time than today, but I really—I have to one day do the math to see how many households, perhaps, I played a small role in, in helping.
1: I was with you uh, until you said "small role." You know, <laughs> uh, I don't think it's a small role. But listen—if if, there—if you work fifty-two weeks in a year, give you a couple weeks off of vacation. Five days a week, that's 260 days okay. in a year, times 20 loans a day on average That's 5,200 loans in a year, times two and a half years there's 13,000 loans. So you may have helped 13,000 families. And I would suggest to you from I remember going to a loan shark with my dad and mom. And I, 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 this building is still there in, in Bluefield. The, the business has been gone a long time ago. And watch my father almost beg for a loan. Almost yeah. beg somebody to give you some money and probably pay 21% interest or something or something worse. Yeah. Okay. So to be able to help 10,000 families, 13, 15,000 families without an app, without, without the phone, <laughs> without, and and talk to each of them and take that handwritten application and and make a decision upon. In my world, each of those are huge. There's nothing small about them. Whether it's Chuck Snyder helping this lady get an apartment, huge. You come back and thank him, thank him, thank him, or whatever that loan was for. Mm. What do you, you know,
0: say? You know, that provides the gravity to the work that we all do in credit unions and all cooperatives. And if we think about the impact we have in our various industries, there has to be a multiplier effect to it because we start off with twelve, thirteen thousand 13,000 families, but we think about their extended families and those who have influence and need, or need from them, and you multiply that times how many loan officers, how many times, how many credit unions, how many cooperatives we have. Imagine the impact we are having on the economy at whole and the world at whole, because we do what we believe is the right thing.
1: Sir, that's why I love talking to you and other credit union workers, employees, managers, presidents, um, because you can really help a lot of families you can really help a lot of people and you do. We'll be right back to talk some more about the work that Credit Union's do in supporting families, particularly black, brown and indigenous people in those communities that are less resource, have less income. We'll be right back. Please Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We have Mr. Maurice Smith with us today, who is our first inductee into the 2023 Cooperative Hall of Fame. Maurice, you used to be the chair of the National Cooperative Bank, and one of the things that the bank has done uh, has been they've supported this program since our beginning, as I said, October 10 years ago. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So that's, as I said, you used to be the chair of that board, and NCB has just been a great partner. How how was it for you working with with NCB, National Cooperative?
0: Oh, thank you, Vernon. For that, for that question, and, and perhaps an opportunity to walk down memory lane just a little bit. Um, I was introduced to the bank by Duck Snyder, rest his soul, and he embodied the enthusiasm and the commitment to cooperatives. And I was quite impressed on how he saw the banking field, the banking business, as being a conduit for helping cooperatives. Provide services for the communities and also for their members. So it was really quite the privilege and the blessing to serve on the NCB board. That was my first opportunity to serve in a capacity like that with individuals representing other fields in the cooperative business. You know, so most of my career has been in my entire career to that point had been just credit unions. We were cooperative. knew other cooperatives existed, but didn't get a chance to collaborate very much with them on a professional level. And here I am sitting at a bank boardroom table with these other very smart, you know, inventive, innovative, committed professionals from the various silos within the cooperative universe. And I am learning so much from them and how MCB falls into these cooperatives and have the commitment to continually serve them. So whatever value someone might think I provided to the board, is, you know, it's is serving that capacity, I reap so much more value for myself just by being associated with such really good cooperators.
1: So I have written it down to four sectors, and it depends on who owns and controls the business. If the business is owned and controlled by the employees, then it's a worker co-op. Uh, and this could be any business you could think of. If the business is owned and controlled by the persons that uses the products, then it's a consumer co-op, and credit unions are owned and controlled by the members there that have checking accounts, housing co-ops, most food co-ops are consumer co-ops, REI. And, Maurice, sir, the health clinic in Madison, Wisconsin, is owned by the patients, and I would really would love, love to be able to be in that kind of health clinic, so I would have a, a say in how that Clinic works. And then the other two types is uh, a group of people uh, or businesses come together to create a business to purchase what they need to produce whatever they're producing. Farmers use this a lot. Uh, artists are beginning to use it. in DC there's something called Consumer Purchasing Alliance. This is a purchasing co-op. and you get that people they're, they're the group in Pittsburgh, Ujama that are artists or black female artists and they do jewelry and painting and and sew clothes and they they form together so that they have uh, a storefront where each individual person couldn't do it but working together they can have a storefront and then they will also sell products from other black artists in in the uh, community, in the diaspora. Mm -hmm. And then if if a marketing co-op and Ujamaa could be called a purchasing or a marketing co-op. Is a group of people that come together to form a business to market their products or services. And farmers like Cabot Creamery, Lando Lakes, Ocean Spray, um, those are the ones that are co-ops that we don't even know are co-ops. So those are four different types that were in the room, in the boardroom of NCB uh, that you're talking, that you learned so much from. And I'm sure that you also helped to teach them a lot. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Now I want to go back to what we were talking about before the breaks. We got that in your two-and-a-half years, not the 44 years that you were in this business, but your two-and-a-half years as a loan officer, you probably worked with 13,000 families. And you had said right before break, if you look at all the loan officers in that one branch, and then if you go to all of the different branches or all of the different credit unions in the u.s and look at all of the different families and what kind of impact that would have you have any sense of what kind of impact that might be Mm.
0: it would be difficult to quantify though it can be i just don't necessarily have the skills to do so so today in the united states there are about hundred and thirty-four million credit union members and growing. The total assets of all domestic credit union credit unions in the States is right at about a trillion dollars. So that just that just tells you what sits on the balance sheet or the financial statements of these financial cooperatives. And so we can come up with some economic dollars and we can we can apply a multiplier effect to the communities on the lending that we provide to the communities and what that means. We can talk about business loans that we make and what kind of impact that has on households, because not all the impact we have sits on the balance sheet of credit unions. It goes out to other financial institutions, investments, one one K plan and so on and so forth. So it's like likely larger than what we we even hold on our balance sheet. What's hard to measure is the true value of being a member of a cooperative that's owned by its, its participants. The sense of self that you get, that being a part of a cooperative gives you that I can participate in this operation, I have a say in the governance for it, I get to choose who the elected leaders are, I'm treated equally like everybody else. That the people who actually operate by cooperative have a fiduciary responsibility to my welfare. And to think about that, that's not what you taught in business school. That's a typical way of doing business. <laughs> and it's maybe not even what you see on just popular media and movies and television and evening news. But to think that I could be a part of something that is so existence is to look after me and everybody who's in a class with me call the membership. I think just that psyche alone provides a certain value to a person. It's just really hard to quantify in dollars.
1: You, you know, um, Dame Pauline Green, who was the president of International Cooperative Alliance, said co-ops help people come out of poverty with dignity. And when you start talking about the sense of self, it's that dignity. Um, mm-hmm. And where that dignity comes from. And I had mentioned earlier about my dad going in to get a loan and almost begging. It's sort of like my view of my dad is he's on his knees begging this white man for a loan. And the white man taking them through these different hurdles before he gave him the loan. And they were demoralizing. And it, I, I felt bad for my dad. I was sitting in a chair feeling really bad for him. That takes, a, that, that stripped you of self. But when you go in and you get a loan officer like yourself that is there for the sole purpose of trying to figure out how to lift you up and how to help you where you get this dignity. Yeah, that's to me that's the that's that's the the main benefit of co ops is that that the self level. And yeah, and it's hard to put that on a balance sheet. <laughs> it would be interesting if we could quantify that. Where people Absolutely and burning. yeah, people and families feel good about themselves.
0: That's right. But but with dignity comes the opportunity for hope. And if you don't have hope, then how can you have the motivation to pursue better? And so, you know, you telling the story about your dad, you know, I you know, I just shared a tear over that because I can imagine your father's struggle with that situation. Our job as credit unions is, and I I love the way you put that, is to provide dignity for our members, and we do that. We can we can we can rise to hope, and then we can rise to the other things we have to do to actually effectuate that.
1: So this hope, and it's interesting because we're 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 ended up going far far away from banking, and we're into. What does it take? Because I have it coming from West Virginia, and the opioid problems there and the different drug there is that people don't have hope. The mines have closed down. They've got broken heels and broken bodies, no hope, and so they self-medicate. The, and to me, that's what happens when you don't have hope. But you can get dignity by banking, or by working in a worker cooperative or one of these other co-ops that we talked about in these different segments of co-ops, uh, being in, and I live in a housing co-op and have a say in how this works and operates. And so there's the other 57 people that live here, families. You, you get this dignity and that. You can't, I don't know, you can't put a dollar fee on that.
0: Can't put a dollar. You can't. Fee we can't put a dollar figure on that, but I believe you can put a dollar figure on the absence of hope, and those are the social ills that many of our communities have to suffer with today. So, banking is a commoditized business. Our services and products look, into the you know, casual observer, like everybody else's product. It's what we do with that and how we deliver it that makes a difference.
1: So, if somebody's not a member of a, co- a credit union, how can they find a credit union?
0: Mm, oh, that's a good question. Many of our states have lead trade associations that will connect you with a credit union. I would suggest one-third of the United States population is a member of a credit union, so you can talk to your family and friends, who, and sometimes those connections will get you into a credit union as well. You know, the Internet is a marvelous thing, so you can Google financial institutions and see where you may qualify. Um, but in many instances, in most communities, you should be able to find an institution that wants you to be a part of it, part of their family, and they would welcome you and with open arms and serve you with the products and the services that you need.
1: So, Maurice, we could spend another two or three hours, four or five hours, talking about your 44-year history in this credit union movement and what you see for the future with credit unions and banking. We're going to have to take our final break here. And I want to come back and, and talk about future. We, we won't be able to get all 44 years of your career. This hour. But you also got me with one-third of America's population. is 134 million credit union members are members of, of co-ops. And so you could probably just ask family members and friends and find out about a credit union. Do you see that share increasing?
0: You know, I do, Vernon, and um, I do see that increasing, and it has been increasing. I am an impatient person when it comes to helping people live better lives. I would like to see that increase, you know, um, go at a faster pace. And hopefully with conversations like this and your show and the contributions of cooperatives around the country, we will see a greater resurgence of cooperatives in the the community and the households.
1: We'll come back and talk more about how to get more people in the credit unions. We'll take our final break right now. Please don't touch the dial.
0: This is WOL News Talk, 1450 AM and 95.9 FM 959.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and Mr. Maurice Smith is our guest today. He's the re- retired CEO of local government federal credit union, the fourth largest credit union in North Carolina. Maurice, in his term there, led the expansion of the institution, 16-fold organic growth rate, to current $3.8 billion in assets with 400,000 members. So that's one credit union in North Carolina. And you said there are 134 million members in the U.S. And I said, yes. I said right before that we wanted to come back and talk about how do we increase, and I'd like to do my part on with this show, but how do we increase members into credit unions that they not only can go in and get a loan and work with the loan officers there that help, th- to help them, but they can also feel really good about themselves and have mm-hmm. dignity and hope. So how do, how do you see going about increasing that?
0: You know, Vernon, one of the ways I see increasing that is we as cooperatives, you know, have to be better at telling our story. So cooperatives that I have met in the, in the various industries are just good-hearted, you know, soul-searching, you know, folks who believe in the mission and who are fixated on the value of our institutions. But we don't often see a need to pat ourselves on the back and brag about what we do. That's not why we're in this business. We earnestly believe in, you know, these endeavors. But somehow we have to share that message with the world at large to say we have what you are looking for. When you talk to an average consumer of anything, for housing or for looking for employment or financial services or whatever it happens to be, and you get down to the root of what they're really looking for, they're, look, they're looking for this dignity we talked about before, fairness, equality. They're looking for decent treatment, you know, to be treated as, you know, a as a person would want to be treated. But when I talk to my family and friends and colleagues about, so what are we looking for here and what are we trying to accomplish? It really bears out the values of cooperatives. This, you know, what the world needs and what the world wants is what cooperatives have and we have to be better at telling our story for that because that's going to help them get to where they want to be. When you watch any advertising or publicity about any for-profit public institution, they don't lead with the idea that our fiduciary responsibility is to our stockholders and we are here to build wealth for the owners of the company and we're going after market share and those sort of things. That's likely boardroom conversations.
1: Wait, wait, I'm sorry.
0: What they lead with on advertisement. Excuse me. Yes.
1: I'm sorry, sir. I just want to... Yes. In my MBA program at Stanford, that's all they taught us, what, how you get to yes. return on investment for the shareholder. That was all, almost all decisions was made on that one variable, return on investment for shareholders. And second was how do you increase market share. So I just want to go back and put the emphasis. That's what I was taught over and over and over and over again. Okay. And they don't lead with that when they, when they talk about
0: their business. What, what do they lead with? What they're leading with is we are an institution that cares about the community. We care about the public, about providing value, about doing good in the world, about equity, about fairness, about equal treatment. That's what you see on the billboard, on the website, in the advertisements, in the press releases. That's what a for-profit company is going to lead with because they understand that's what the public and the consumers want and that's what they want to hear. But in the boardroom, the conversations are a lot different. Those those are the, metri- the metrics that the board directors focus on is the kind of things that you and I were taught in business school. And that is return on value, shareholders, return on equity, those kind of things. Those are the kind of, kind of conversations that don't make their way to Main Street USA. But when we have our conversations with cooperatives, The same thing we talk about in the boardroom is the same thing we talk about in public with the membership. And that kind of visibility and transparency presents a certain honesty to the services that we provide to our members or to the public at large. And so connecting those two and having members and consumers at large understand you can do business with an institution that doesn't have a dual personality, it is focus on you, period. That is the response for fiduciary responsibility we have, focus on you. If we maintain that language and we maintain that kind of narrative, I believe that the influence we have and the book of business that we have as cooperatives will continue to grow because that's what the public wants and that's what the public needs to hear.
1: Well, I have it, and the reason we have this show is so that we can promote this this co-op model to tell people about the benefits that one gets by being a member of a co-op. And right now we're talking about a member of a credit union. And those benefits, they're huge when you start talking and yeah. when you get down to dignity. But it's honesty openness, social responsibility, and caring for others is the ethical values of co-ops. And yes. with those ethical values, and I say that a co-op is a co-op if it's operating with the values and principles of cooperation, not what they call themselves, but if they're operating with those values, then it's a co-op. So I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering how do we, as an industry, how do we promote Co ops better than what we do right now. You said it earlier. We talk amongst ourselves and we tell our stories amongst ourselves at credit union meetings or so forth. But how do we get those stories out to the public in a much better way?
0: Good question. Good question, Brian. So I want to backtrack just a little bit, but I, I don't want to suggest to your audience that I villainize for profit. Companies. They have a role in society and what they do. What I would like to suggest and maintain is that the public at large need to be informed to make a decision as to whether they want to do business with a co op or a for profit corporation. And the way they do that is to have the presentment of both options available to them. It begins perhaps, you know, burning with what you and I learned in school. So there wasn't an opportunity in school to take a, a class, not even an elective on cooperatives. So maybe every business school should teach cooperative financial services or cooperatives in, biz- in general about an alternative business model for you. Then we, we can get into, um, to even in high school, teach cooperative services as an alternative for you a preferred alternative for you and then we find ways to repeat that message to the public at large that cooperatives are here and available for you i like to tell my friends cooperatives are all around you they don't necessarily leave with we are a cooperative because it takes time to tell the real complete story as to what we believe and what we're all about but they're all around us We just see them as just another type of business in the community and don't really focus on the values underneath that. What we've tried to do with our credit union was lead with the values. Yeah, we could lead with pricing and we could lead with, you know, convenience and branch locations and we could lead with some features of product, but that just means I have to compete with everybody else on the same metrics that's uh, that's typically presented. I want to compete with values and philosophy and principles because nobody else has the where we we'll fall, the authority or the credibility to say what a cooperative can say, and I think that gives us a competitive advantage.
1: I think it gives a competitive advantage and an overall better, much better product. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, other than promoting co-ops and and values, what do you see the future? And you only have a couple minutes to say this. So where where do you see the future of co-ops, in particular credit unions?
0: Bernard, I am, I am so bullish on credit unions. It's, I can't even see straight. You know, I just believe that credit unions continue to have a bright future. This is a growth movement. I wouldn't suggest to anybody that credit unions or cooperatives have reached an inflection point where we're thinking, okay, there's a decline on the horizon. We're continuing to grow. And we're continuing to refine our message and continuing to refine the way we serve our members. The Rochdale principles were developed in 1844, 179 years ago. And this, to me, still feels like a young, new industry, that being all cooperatives. I think the prospects are high, and I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens next and the new the new horizons that we're going to create for serving all of our members for all co-ops.
1: Well, Sarah, that's a good place to leave it. It's been a pleasure, Maurice, to have you on today. I thank you so very much for your 44 years and for sharing it with us today. Thanks a lot. My pleasure,
0: my friend. Thank you.
1: And you look like you're young enough you have spent another 44 years doing this work. So. <laughs>
0: Looks like a (laughs) seething (laughs) partner.
1: And everybody out there, we'll see you next Thursday. Please live cooperatively and find a credit union. Yes. is power.